Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. In Pennsylvania, public school teachers can't legally wear religious garb while working. We're the only state that still has such a ban, but could it change this year? My CityCast colleague, Trené Neri, is with someone in the know. It's Tuesday, February 28th. I'm Megan Harris, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Aubrey Yuhas, you're an education reporter based in Philly. First things first, I mean, this sounds so ridiculous. What exactly is this ban? Sure. So it's referred to as a GARP ban. And what the law does is it prohibits public school teachers from wearing anything that shows they're a member of a particular faith. About two dozen states once had bans like these. But like you said, today, Pennsylvania is the only one that still has a law on the books. And you use the word ridiculous to describe the ban. And I think I think that's an you know, a pretty good word choice there. Because I talk to a lot of people who say it feels kind of silly to have this law in the books when it's obvious that it isn't being enforced. If you walk into any public school, odds are you'll see teachers wearing things that violate the law, like a cross or a Star of David or a yarmulke or a hijab. Interesting. Okay, so if a teacher is found to have worn any of those items, what are the consequences? Yeah, so so technically they are breaking the law, and if they're violating the ban once, they can be suspended for a year. If they break mm-hmm. the law again, they can be permanently disqualified from teaching at that specific school. And there are consequences for school leaders, too. The law says if a school director decides not to enforce the ban, they can be found guilty of a misdemeanor and eventually removed from their position. But I want to be clear that throughout my reporting, I didn't come across any recent examples of the law being enforced. And when I asked experts about this, they pointed me to this federal court ruling in 2003 that found Pennsylvania's ban is likely unconstitutional under the First Amendment. Were people worried that teachers would express their religious views onto students? Yeah, so I think that is what people think of right now when they look at this law. But interestingly enough, when I looked back, that really isn't where this law came from. Okay, so where did it come from? Yeah, yeah. So it comes way, way back. We're going to go all the way back to 1895. And at that time, one of the dominant facts in American life was anti-Catholicism. So I spoke with Philip Jenkins, a professor of history at Baylor University in Texas. and, And he told me it was really this mass movement of Protestants called the American Protective Association, or APA, that was the driving force behind this garb law. And essentially, you know, they were really worried that Catholics were going to take over the country. So they passed all of these laws separating church and state, and Mm -hmm. it was less of a focus on, you know, separating church and state and more of a focus on just trying to keep Catholics out of institutions. And one of the institutions they were really, really focused on were the public schools. 
And so Pennsylvania was one of the first states to bar public school teachers from wearing any kind of religious garb, right? Correct. Yeah. Many states didn't pass these laws until the 1920s and the 1930s, until the APA had mostly disappeared and the Ku Klux Klan was kind of leading the anti-Catholic push at that point. Um, But a lot of these later states actually look at Pennsylvania's law and cite it as a model that they're following themselves. So as you mentioned, this law has been on the books for more than a century. Aubrey, have teachers actually lost their jobs because of this? Yeah, well, we don't have a lot of recent examples. We know that over the history of this law, an untold number of teachers have lost their jobs, um, either because, you know, the law has been presented to them and been enforced or because they've been aware of the law and felt that as a result, public education wasn't a place for them to be. So we know that teachers have had to choose between their career and their faith. There are documented cases early on of Catholic women, the you know the proposed target of this law, losing their teaching positions, and the law also impacted teachers of other faiths. You know, the first teacher to challenge the law in 1908 was a Mennonite named Lillian Rizzer. Uh, the judge initially ruled in her favor and declared the ban unconstitutional under the state's constitution. But then the higher courts overruled the decision. Um, and then most recently, we can point to this example of a Muslim teacher in the 1980s in Philadelphia, who was denied substitute work at three separate schools because she wore a hijab. And ultimately, the courts, you know, upheld the law in that case as well. So who's bringing this back up? Um, Who's raising these concerns again? Is it teachers or is it lawmakers? Yeah. So we're having this conversation again because of lawmakers, because there are lawmakers who see this law in the books and, and say kind of what you said at the top, like, this is ridiculous. Um, we know that, you know, with the First Amendment protections, we have teachers in every school across the country, you know, who are wearing things in line with their faith. So why does Pennsylvania have this archaic law on the books that could potentially be abused, right? Um, so the conversation has been about removing it. And I think as people talk about it and awareness comes up that this has been on the books for such a long time, people are talking about what it has meant over time. And and what it has meant is that it's been, you know, sporadically and subjectively enforced. And we've seen teachers of particular faiths at particular points in time lose their livelihood or feel that they didn't have a place in public education because of this policy. Aubrey, you actually talked to a Philly math teacher who's concerned about this law currently. And um, what does she tell you about her experience? Yeah. So interestingly enough, like when I connected with her, she just like had this flashback to being a little kid. She was eight or nine years old and her mom was a teacher in Philadelphia public schools. So this was in the early 1990s. And she remembers quite vividly her mom coming home from school one day and telling her and her siblings that she could possibly be losing her job. And her mom was a devout Muslim. She was someone, you know, who wore a hijab and modest dress to school. And what I learned when I looked into this story is that at this point in time, you know, that substitute teacher, this Muslim substitute teacher in, in Philadelphia public schools had brought this, this case. It had been upheld. So there was kind of this anxiety as teachers and principals were were kind of looking and saying, like, wait a second, do we have to do we have to enforce this policy as well? So for Hadra Abdullah Aziz, her her mother's principal went to her and said, you know, I don't know what to do. Do I need to make you stop wearing your hijab to school? Like the principal was honestly confused and upset. And her mother, a freedom fighter and Black Panther, responded by telling him, 
you know, my faith is non-negotiable. I'm going to teach in full garb or you're going to have to let me go. And ultimately, the principal chose not to enforce the law. And Abdullah Aziz's mother kept her job. But she says the ban just just wouldn't leave her mind. And all of her career, it, it just loomed like in the atmosphere that there will always be multiple reasons why you could get let go. And this is one of them. Do you like to dance, look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm, because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend, and rest assured, every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. A federal court ruled that this law is probably unconstitutional 20 years ago. So how can you still have a ruling like that and still have this law on the books? Yeah, essentially it's because no one has challenged it since then. Right. So we have that language that it's it's likely unconstitutional, but they didn't come out and say that it is unconstitutional. So that's why it's up to the state legislature to take it off the books. And it's something that they've been trying to do. But essentially, because they have, you know, so many other things to do in any given session, it hasn't risen to the level of importance for them to actually repeal the law. But it does have some bipartisan support, um, and that doesn't really happen a lot, you know, often these days. But how likely is Pennsylvania going to finally throw out this law if lawmakers do bring this to um, session? Yeah, it's hard to tell. I think if it was scheduled for a vote, the expectation is that it would pass. But it, 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 you know, there's been challenges in terms of getting it on the calendar. So the state senators who are sponsoring the bill, Republican Kristen Phillips-Hill and Democrat Judy Schwank, they've tried twice already. They've gone through this process before. It's passed in the state Senate, but it has never made it to the state House for a vote. And they're going through this cycle again right now. They reintroduced their bill in early January. The Senate passed it unanimously. And now they're just kind of in a holding pattern. And like I said, like the expectation is that if they can get it scheduled, it'll pass. But, you know, it's just a matter of waiting to see if it if it gets on the calendar. Now, why would something that has support not get scheduled for a vote? Yeah, I think it's because this idea that because it's likely unconstitutional, it doesn't pose an active threat. So folks just feel like maybe it isn't important to go through the process of finally taking it out of the school code. But what you'll hear, you know, what I heard from legislators is it's just embarrassing that Pennsylvania still has this on the books, that it reflects poorly on the state. So there is this push and this desire to take it off. And, and going back to 
the the teacher that I was that I spoke to talked about her mother's experience of Dula Aziz. She says that, you know, while she personally hasn't been impacted by the ban because she herself has worked as an educator, she feels like it needs to be lifted because it does pose an ongoing threat to teachers that you could have a school principal or a school administrator who decides they want to enforce this policy. And then, you know, a teacher would essentially get swept up in, in having to go to court and, and being really tied up in kind of like a legal quagmire. If this law did get thrown out, would there still be some limits on what public school teachers can wear? Is there any kind of religious clothing that might cross the line? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I spoke with David Calloway, this religious freedom specialist, and he he told me that, you know, ultimately schools have this responsibility to make sure they're protecting the rights of students. So while teachers do bring their First Amendment rights with them into the classroom, at a certain point, they start bumping up against the Establishment Clause, which says that because teachers are government employees, they cannot be perceived to be endorsing a certain religion. So you wouldn't want students to think, oh, because their teacher is Muslim or Jewish, then, you know, students should be Muslim and Jewish as well. It's like this idea that you don't want people to think that they can't have their own choices around religion uh, based on the faith of their teacher. So while most states are fine with allowing teachers to wear religious jewelry or garb, things that are seen as personal, um, a teacher wouldn't be allowed to wear a message that's essentially proselytizing to students, like a t-shirt that says Jesus saves across the front of it. That's CityCast Philly host Trine Nari with Aubrey Yuhas of WHYY Radio. We'll have a link to Aubrey's full story in our show notes. A little more news before you go. Some Pittsburghers are complaining of itchy eyes, stuffed up and runny noses, and coughing. While these might sound like symptoms of seasonal allergies, they're not. WESA reports the region's pollen count has actually been pretty low, and the real culprits could be household allergens like dust mites and mold, or those lovely 70-degree days we've been having. These shifts in temperature like that can trigger non-allergic rhinitis, which feels sort of similar to allergies. So while some allergy meds probably won't help you, nasal decongestants and sprays could save the day. And Pittsburgh Regional Transit currently has 26 different loops that pass through downtown, and they're kind of hoping to reduce that number. With construction of exclusive lanes now running from Oakland to downtown for the bus rapid transit system, PRT wants to cut a few routes and pick up as many riders as possible. So they're taking it to the riders themselves. PRT is hosting a series of virtual and in-person meetings this week to talk about the potential changes. We'll have more info on that and how to attend in today's newsletter. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, we hope you'll reach out and let us know. You can leave us a review, you can subscribe to our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter, and you can jump in those DMs. We're at CityCastPGH. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. We'll talk to you soon. Fun.